0: Going up, curtain going up. Leashes, please. Stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. So let's start with who you are. So you're Christina Wong, the... Journalist, not the comedian. Does that get really frustrating for you that people confuse the two of you? Or do they so, confuse the two of you? Luckily, people have not confused
1: us that often. I think it's happened maybe like once or twice when um, you know, she's made some sort of like crazy comment and then and then I, I start getting some weird like tweets and I and then I go look and see what it's about, and it's cause she's, you know done something like put on like a vagina costume or something and like said something crazy yeah (laughs) but it's it's funny because we're both from the bay area i i think she's from the bay area and actually when i was uh i think this was in college uh we had mutual friends because you know california we're both you know asian american and so i we we had mutual friends and i also did theater and so um, I've had some friends comment to me about her, and then th- go back to her. And I think one time she uh, blogged, "Oh, I made the other Christina change her name because I had talked to, I had told a friend that I'm, I should just go by Christy," which is what I kind of went through growing up, my 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 whole you know younger life, and then that somehow got back to her, and then she posted. So it's been like a whole you know, she actually wanted to do some sort of project of all the people named Christina Wongs out there. But um, you know, I wasn't sure what it was about and, you know, I, I, I didn't bite. But but anyway, so yeah, that's that's a long answer. Uh <laughs> but no. Luckily people have not confused us too often. That's I think good. we're pretty we're on we're on like way different spectrums, right? Or we're, we're on the yeah, way. This is gonna uh, say you guys are like the
0: on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Like from a, <laughs> certainly from a political perspective. But So I wondered if there was ever a time that maybe like a right winger type person confused you with her and was like coming after you for some of the stuff that she had said. So I I think it's happened. I think it's (laughs) happened before. Talk to me a little bit about your career. Like what made you decide to get into journalism? You said you did a little bit of theater, like kind of walk me through how you ended up where you are right now. Because so... One of the things when we first connected with one another was over my sweet potato pie recipe. I remember that was one thing that we talked about initially. And then my daughter's gymnastics because you were a gymnast. So talk a little bit about how you went from young gymnast to now you're a a journalist traveling all over the world doing Pentagon and national security. Talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, the f- the first thing I ever wanted to be was an architect because I used to draw a lot. I used to love to draw, just spend hours drawing. And I was actually good at math. And,
0: you know, shocker. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you are Asian, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, it was something that I wanted to do, you know, as a kid and sort of in my teens. And then, um, Sort of in my late teens, I, you know, kind of switched gears because I had this misconception that if I was an architect, I would be alone in a room drafting, you know, at the drafting table making like, plans for houses, and I, I wouldn't run into anyone all day. I think I don't know where I got this idea. I, I, I used to watch Brady Bunch re, reruns. Wasn't the dad an architect? Maybe I never watched. Do I Asian have that wrong? I don't no, know. You might be right. <laughs> so I, I, I maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But I got this idea that oh, okay, I'm going to be alone in a room, sitting there by myself, no interaction with people. And I was, um, you know, pretty talkative, pretty opinionated, argumentative. I I really like, you know, talking to people. I was really interested in um, social justice, which is funny, and we'll talk about that, right? Because so I grew up in California right. and, and sort of the reading list, you know, you, you're given when you're in high school. It's I had this one freshman teacher and she she gave us these um, you know, authors of color. And so I was kind of sort of the, maybe um, you know, uh subconsciously filled with these messages of of, you know, I was I was also really into hip hop, right? So it was kind of right. like this. This sort of, I wouldn't say it was indoctrination, but it was this feeling like, oh, I want to stick up for those oppressed. I want to, you know, fight for the little guy against the big bad government. And so I started, and also my dad is very much like that as well. So it was kind of like, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight. And we always had that thing going. And then so my older sister actually, so she was in college at the time she was, she was going to Berkeley and she said, Hey, I, you should check out journalism. I think you'd really like it. You know? So then I started, I, you know, I don't want to admit, you know, but she, she's the one, you know, that, that that's what she planted the seed and it was funny. Cause she was working at her school newspaper, um, college newspaper and, um, she 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 started writing, but then she kind she got more into um, layout, right? right? And so she really liked to design a page, and and so I started doing more like of the writing aspect, and and so art just seemed sort of like okay, who's going to see my art? Maybe I actually thought I'd be end up homeless in Golden Gate Park selling <laughs> paintings if I you know became an artist or architect, you know, just, I didn't see a future. And, and for some reason I saw a future in journalism, which is, you know, (laughs) probably uh, just as precarious. Right. So I, 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 again, it was was not that I, I mean, I love my job, but, you know, I had this misconception that like, Oh, politics is serious. Um, you know, um, so, so I wanted to, you know, cover politics and become a political journalist. And I loved interviewing people. And I also loved, um, since I love talking, I loved uh, educating and teaching. And I felt like, you know, this, and I also used to write a lot. So journalism had the writing aspect, had the people aspect and the educate, education aspect. So it was kind of like the perfect, I, I thought it was a perfect job for me. So I started uh, pursuing Journalism, And it's funny because I I loved writing, but I kind of got sucked into broadcast. Um, a friend of mine went to a uh, job fair, um, a journalism job fair, and he gave me this application. It was like an intern application for this um, local news station. And uh, he gave me like a stack like this thick and the first one I applied for. And then I really hounded them. So this was a KBC in uh, Los Angeles. And I I just was hounding them, you know, week after week after week. And after like three to four months or so, maybe even longer, finally, they're like, okay, come in, you know, Mm -hmm. for, you can come in for an interview. Came in, I think I got, so it's funny because my first internship for a broadcast station was for a, uh, public affairs show. Um, uh, I, I think it's called, it was a Spanish speaking public affairs show.
0: Did you speak? I think it was
1: like, so I, I studied Spanish for about six years. Oh, okay. And, and, and so, you know, kids in California, that's like your second language, right? You, 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 every, a lot of kids take it in high school, you know, middle school, high school, and and so it was called I think it was called Vista LA and I spent eight hours a day sitting at a computer transcribing interviews in Spanish and I I just I I was like a machine I came in (laughs) sat I transcribed I went to the bathroom like twice and I did that from like 8 a.m to like 4 p.m and they loved me so much of course they extended me and that time I'm like woo! but they're probably like where else can we find someone like this and then (laughs) We're this long for free. Exactly. Transcribing Spanish speaking interviews, you know. So then finally, I got to go to like the general newsroom, you know, where like everyone else was. And I did even did, um, you know, after that, I did entertainment. That was fun. And then I actually got recruited for a paid internship with ABC News in Los Angeles. And so that was a big deal, you know, like getting paid, right? And had you finished school at that point or? I had not. I think I had one or two more years of undergrad. And then once I graduated, I was still at ABC News, but then I moved to PBS. So I got a full-time job. So it was, you know, it, an internship kind of turned into a part-time job. Sure. At, and, it, you know, to be higher than news, and this is like news bureaucratic speak, but, you know, you you can be like a temp or like a part-time or... You know, if they really like you, they are bringing you on full time. Right. And, you know, then you have a career and like, you know, uh, retirement benefits and all that stuff. But, you know, I was I just graduated, I think. So then I um, joined them part, kept on going, you know, with them part time. And then shortly after I found a job at PBS for a PBS show called The Tavis Smiley Show. So I and I'm not sure if you know who Tavis Smiley is. I don't. So this is a a a um, another sort of public affairs show that is um, geared towards African American. okay so with an African American audience. It was an African American host, and so I did that for about two years. and then I um, wanted to you know I found l a to be fun the little, you know, it was really vapid, you know, even though you're working for this serious political public affairs show, you're still surrounded by the like, Oh, guess who was at dinner last night? Right. Guess who walked into the restaurant, the celebrity, blah, blah, blah. You know, everyone's celebrity obsessed. And I found that when I went to these red carpet interviews, I'm like, I don't care about these people. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I don't really get nervous. You know, I'm not starstruck. Right. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't care. And, it was kind of stupid because I would, I would just show up wearing like normal clothes. Right. Like I wasn't like over the top, you know, some people were like, you just wear like a, a nice dress or like, this is your moment, right. To right. <laughs> interact with celebrities. It was like such a cool gig, but I'm like, eh, yeah. you know, cause I was, a co- I was a college student at the time. So I'd like show up wearing what I wore to, to school that day, day, yeah, which is like, I wouldn't say sweats, but like not far off. Yeah, sure. you know? And I would, I would just go and they have no, ch- they have no choice but to talk to me because you know? <laughs> I'm there for KBC and I've got the microphone sure. and I did interview a couple cool people like, um, Harrison Ford, Gwen Stefani, uh, Ice Cube, like that was kind of cool. Right. Yeah. Those,
0: those were cool. Especially in like, that yeah. time frame, Right. Like in those years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I just kind of was drawn more towards, um, you know, politics. And so I made the move from the LA Bureau of ABC news to the DC bureau in ABC news, DC bureau. And I was there for a while. So my whole career with ABC news was, was for quite a while, you know, throughout this time from, 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 you know, intern into, you know, employee and in LA and then to DC. And that, so that brought me to DC and that was, um, sorry. I don't know if I'm like going into way. No, too no, no. You keep you going. keep like going. One it's question.
0: Great. <laughs> My phone and, rang. So I had to like reject it. Oh, so it didn't interrupt us.
1: Yeah. So, so basically, I mean, it's pretty much lived up to what, you know, I thought it would live up to. Um, and it was funny because I was like sort of starstruck, you know, I, when I got to D.C. and, you know, I would, like, see, you know, like, folks like John McCain or, like, Hillary Clinton or, like, you know, just people you you hear
0: about in the news, like, oh, my God, that, that person just. So you were starstruck in a different way. You were starstruck with politicians as celebrities versus the actual celebrities.
1: Yes. So uh, for me, seeing uh, politicians, I mean, they were really like weak sauce politicians, too. But it was like, oh, my God, I just saw so and so like I just saw (laughs) Newt Gingrich or like something ridiculous (laughs) like that, like. Just, you know, someone in the political sphere, just because I thought, oh, this is so important, you know. Um, And then also, when I was at ABC, we had, like, a number of politicians come in, you know, like, uh, like John Kerry, you know, just whoever, you know, actually Joe Biden came in one time, probably more than once, but just, you know, like, uh, different, different folks. And um, so, yeah, that, that was, that was fun. And so I've covered... um, Uh, So I went from like, uh, so I went from ABC to the Washington Times. And when I was at ABC, I kind of fell in love with military reporting. It it started off with like, I want to be a State Department reporter. And then um, I started uh, really getting into um, the Afghanistan war. And I mean, like really into like obsessed, like up until 2 a.m. reading like, you know, think tank papers and like uh, obscure, you know, like papers and, and books and like reading about counterinsurgency and stuff. And then so that kind of led me to the military. And um, so since it wasn't like my full time beat, you know, I, I would just do stories like here and there. And, and um, I did some, some on the, some of the first stories I did were on um uh, you know, um, wounded warriors. And those stories really just kind of sucked me in their, their stories. And and I started talking to, um, military spouses and, and, you know, even more so just because their stories were not really told. And so I, I, I sort of backed into military reporting that way, just, just from like, you know, the war, the impact it was having on, on, on people and, and their families. And, um, it was kind of like, this is what, I was meant to do. This is, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to tell their stories, and then, then so I moved to covering the Pentagon, and the Pentagon is very interesting because it's it's a government, you know, agency, and I mean, in a way, it takes you away from from people, you know, people's stories, but it, it. but I did discover, you know, the folks I did work with, the the public affairs officers and the people you meet in the Pentagon, you know, they they've got stories too and I really liked working with those people and I just really like loved, you know, reporting on the Pentagon at the time. I just loved the whole thing like Pentagon briefings, um, you know, questioning these, you know, generals and important figures, the defense secretary, and then you get to go on the plane, the, the defense secretary's plane. You get to fly all over the world, and and then you get to, you know, go, go cover, go to war war zones, and and there you get back, and there you start reconnecting with the troops, you know, and uh, sure. hearing their stories. You know, you have you have to catch them the times where they're not being like guarded by the PAO, you know, because the sure, public affairs yeah. officer is like always there listening, making sure nothing weird is said, you know? So um, if you, you can, you can still find times. <laughs> 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 they're all like cringing right now, you know, if they're actually listening, but um, yeah, so I, it was, I, I did that in Afghanistan. Um, I went to, I went to Iraq, but there was only like an overnight kind of trip but I went to Afghanistan several times I've been out on um, destroyers I've been to different bases in the Middle East Um, also some in some in Asia and it's just been you know just it was a really great time I still cover the Pentagon but it's it's different we we can talk about that
0: because this this is one long ramble but (laughs) no I love it it's so awesome (laughs) because i sure. think people don't like understand what actually goes into your job like i think they just see you guys as people that sit behind a computer and type and and that's it and and you just put stuff out there so this is cool keep going um yeah no so well i mean you're not really
1: far off because nowadays a lot of reporting is just you're sitting behind a computer and that's like the worst part of reporting you know, in a way. I mean, I I I like I like writing. I like constructing a story. I like having something to put out, and I like it when people, you know, read it and interact with it. I feel like I'm I'm having an impact. And I, I still really like like that part. But I mean reporting nowadays is so different. So different. I mean, I remember when, you know, I first took my first journal journalism classes, uh, the teachers would be like, Oh, you know. You talk to this side then you talk to that side, you present both sides, you know, and then um, there's that whole, you know, shoe letter journalism where you like go talk to people, you go outside, you go find people, you find the right person, you show up at a place and that still exists, you know. You, you, people are still talking to lawmakers. You know, you go to the Congress, you run up to them, you ask them a question. I did that. So after the Washington Times, I went to the Hill, and the Hill is basically you're just chasing lawmakers all day. So uh, there's right. quite a bit of, you know, I did that and covered the Pentagon. So it was kind of like both. So there's a lot of interaction, but but a lot of reporting nowadays is that you are you know, just sort of someone else reported this. So you write a report about what that, about that report, you know, and it, a lot of it is you're sitting at your desk, just, you know, typing all day, you know, hunched over sitting like sure. yeah. for hours and then you're eating. And, and uh, <laughs> that, that, that was, uh, you know, um, I would say, you know, that, that, that was my life for some of the time. So, I mean, now I'm not really selling my job. I I, I do love it. I I do get to do really exciting things still. I I went to Pakistan. I went to Taiwan. I've been to Japan. So no complaints, no complaints. But there is a lot of, yes, you are sitting at your computer
0: uh, writing. So let's talk a little bit about what you just said. So You'll get a report and then you'll do a report on the report and that kind of stuff. And it's it starts to feel like at, as a, a consumer, so somebody who's consuming the news and the media, it's starting to feel like it's just one message that's being sent out. It's just, you know, one side, one perspective. You're just going you, you can find the same article from 12 different publications and it's creating a, a two-fold problem. Like one, there's no accountability. So, because we are a nation that has a freedom of the press, whatever wants to be printed can be printed, right? Like, and that's a good thing. But the problem is that if that information is incorrect or inaccurate, and you have a press that is unwilling to admit that or or make any sort of like strides to be honest rather than propagandized, then then you have a, a massive distrust in the media. And now it has gotten to the point, and I would say, for me personally, I can't speak for everyone in the world, but my distrust in the media came when the Russia Gate situation happened in 2016, where they pressed on us so hard that this was so true. And they this is Russia influenced our election. And then all of the information that came out afterwards, it was like, actually, no, that isn't what happened. And so now, even when something is genuinely untrue, they've discredited themselves so much where now when they push back on a story, it must be true. This wild, crazy story that I'm reading has to be true because the media says it isn't. Like we've yeah. reached like it's like the Overton window shifted so hard that now nobody believes anything. Yeah. And which it's... makes everything true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean you just like summarized so many industry problems. And you know, that's that's why I'm I I count myself so thankful like to have gotten out of the mainstream media bubble. So you know, all the jobs I just, you know, listed off. I mean, those are very mainstream, mainstream media Correct. news. And it is a bubble. You know, you don't think different there's no one, none of your colleagues think differently. You know, your everyone is overwhelmingly liberal you know, there might be like one or two and maybe they keep quiet, but I mean, there's such a group thing there and there's sometimes not even really time to think, you know, about like, oh, is there, you know, like some other angle or like, oh, well, you know, and and it's worsened by, you know, sort of this, this, uh, what I've seen over the years of my reporting is just that the media used to be you used to want to hold government accountable but because there's this sort of and i and i think maybe it's it's social media or, or i'm not sure what it was maybe it's because um liberals seem to be good at building institutions or capturing you know uh, certain you know um power centers or something but but they've they've uh, you know democrats have somehow align themselves with the media or the media have aligned themselves with Democrats. So when you have, and this doesn't go for everyone, but I've seen, you know, I've seen like uh, reporters go from, I'm going to hold, you know, speak truth to power. I'm going to get the truth. I'm going to hold the government accountable to, I'm going to help the uh, government get their message out, you know, and that's not, I wouldn't say that's exclusive to liberal media because, you know, you, you then see counterbalancing. And so I think for a long time, we just had one one perspective one one mainstream media news perspective uh, which was like democrat mouthpiece and then now you have like a proliferation of like breitbart daily caller you know washington examiner to some extent you know um a lot of you know different very popular you know outlets on the right that will you know sort of give the others perspective that and and and, you know, it's, it, I, I think this proliferation is, is really good that you, ha- it's, it's like the, you know, I I forget at one point, but it's like, you know, there were, uh, it was easy to have some sort of like, um, you know, some sort of, uh, like a newsletter, right. Uh, in the past you would just, ha- anyone could fund their newsletter and you'd have like all these different newsletters and you could pick and choose and read what you wanted to read, or you could read from all sure. of them. And that's, that's, that's good because then if you read from all of them, you will find the truth, you know, somewhere, in the middle, somewhere, somewhere in there. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I, so I count myself extremely fortunate to have gotten outside you know, that mainstream media bubble where you just sort of reinforce the Democrats um message. And it's funny you mentioned Russiagate because that was like my huge awakening too. You know, I had I really developed a a disdain for <laughs> the mainstream news media. Yes. Because, you know, before it's like you you know, you you think like, you know, um maybe you'll hear attacks on the media and you'll just say like, oh, those are just politically motivated. But then you had like the New York Times and the Washington Post, supposedly the best papers, you know, news outlets in the world putting out- Democracy dies in
0: darkness, right?
1: Like, yeah. Yeah, very very sanctimonious (laughs) messages like that, you know, uh, and and, and their journalists were extremely sanctimonious. But you get these like, you know, this former and current official said. And so, you know, back when I first, you know, learned how to do journalism, uh, you know, you're not supposed to use anonymous sources. And if you do, you know, you need to, I think the the Associated Press still goes by those standards. But then you had like, during Russiagate, it was like, 13 former government you know officials and current officials and and you and and there's not one person named maybe not even anyone named and you just it was uh, i really dug into the whole russia gate and i knew just very early on like something's not right here and very very early on because you just read the transcripts of congressional hearings you just read you know whatever was you know, like uh, any kind of, um, you know, source material and you're like, oh, there's nothing here, you know, like, sure. yeah, it, you, I, I saw through the spin and I just, you know, I, I remember a long time ago, I used to aspire like, oh, you know, maybe someday I'll write for these papers or something like a long time ago, but then it's like, wow, you know, these Now
0: these you're these like, standards... I'm really glad that's not on my resume. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the standards <laughs> have really, have really fallen there. I mean, it's just, and and they're so like a, a lot of the folks are so captured by, you know, the former DOJ officials or the FBI officials. Their sources, basically. There's too much of a, you know, like in Washington D.C. Marriage, I mean, it's all incestuous, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, it's it's a uh, you know, so. I mean, it's pe- everyone knows each other. They go to the same parties, you know. They go to yep. the same, you know, bars or whatever. It's it's very incestuous, like you said. It's 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 sort of this, you know. It's it's a little swamp, and and you forget you forget why. I mean, I, of course, I can't speak to every journalist because I do know some good mainstream media journalists. Um, but it's like you, you sort of forget you're there on behalf of the American people, asking officials, you know, questions to help them to inform them, not to, you know, help them get their message out or, or right.
0: to or read not their own political bias.
1: Right. E- exactly. And I just, I, during the Trump administration, it, I saw that a lot, you know, it was kind of like constant hounding of like, you know, just, I mean, you know, the, the media certainly remembered how to do their job then. <laughs> so, right. And I, 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 you know, I always feel bad about bashing journalists because I feel like, you know, that's I feel like uh, some sort of professional, you know, some some sort of um, you know obligation, I guess. You know, I, I I don't want to criticize people in my own profession. It's sort of like professional courtesy, I, I would say. And you don't sure. you don't really see me go after uh, other journalists because I I don't want to, you know, like. Open that can of worms, but you know, at least publicly. Um, but uh, you know, it was it was it was really eye opening during the Trump administration, um, especially at the Pentagon. We had uh, you know Secretary of Defense Mattis, and every press conference would be like, Do you agree with what Trump said? You know, and there's always like this implicit, you don't really agree with him, do you? You know, and it was right. always trying yeah. trying to create this controversy, whereas like now you don't have like, oh, do you agree with Biden? You know, it was it was right. just yeah. like, you know, it was there's so much bias in the media. And it's interesting because after the elections you always have some sort of like course correction i remember the new york times were like oh you know we got it wrong we're gonna cover you know middle america blah 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 and then they launched into Russia Gate. you know so it, sure. it, they, there was never any kind of course correction i think you are you're, you're starting to see like a tiny bit maybe maybe uh, maybe i'm too optimistic because um republicans have recaptured the house so it's like you can't just ignore leadership, you know, so I I do see, like, at least leadership, kind of Republican leadership getting their Republicans getting their message out, because there's, you know, journalists have to cover what they have to say. And, and so there's a little bit, but, you know, it's, I, I don't think it's, it's because, you know, they want to or prefer to. So anyway, that's my big,
0: shit talking you know like the whole media well and I don't think it's shit talking I think like (laughs) I started the shit talking right like this is what because I'm I'm a constant consumer of the news Mm. right like Mm -hmm. I'm I with my daily show with Mm. with this podcast like I'm constantly consuming news and so I, I just want the truth like I'm not going to lie, Christina, one of my favorite things that has happened over the course of the last 10 years was the WikiLeaks drop of the Podesta emails, because it was the first time for me, I, I know that WikiLeaks has been dropping tons of stuff for a long time, but for me, it was the first time that I could just clearly walk through an entire thing and decide for myself how I felt about what I was reading. I wasn't being told. It was... It was all there in black and white. And I wish, it's like we're starving for that. We're absolutely hungry for someone to just go dig the information and give it to us. We'll decide how we feel about it. China flies a fucking balloon over our country. Just tell us, hey, here's a balloon. This is what we think the balloon is doing. And you decide how you feel about that. Not we're going to keep it a secret so antony blinken still can, can <laughs> still go on his trip to china like and then yeah. you have the Streisand effect like you you tried to like pretend it didn't exist oh this isn't a big deal we're not going to shoot this down we're going to just let it float across our entire country all of our sites like it's just and then you have the press coming out after the fact so we've shot it down and we're like oh we did such a great job we shot this down over the ocean everything's great and we prevented them from getting any information the whole time they were going across. Yeah, come on! Like, why do you have to lie to us? That's not your job. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the the current administration they
1: they think slash know that journalists will get their message out, so you know they, um, you know they'll they they won't feel bad about giving something that's completely you know, dishonest, like this whole, the balloons flew also under the Trump administration, like that, that that backfired on them. So the Biden administration was like, oh, this is no big deal, it's happened before under Trump. And then of course, like the talking point amongst like the, you know, left, the left was like, oh, well, Trump did nothing about this. And then it's like, you find out days later, you know, by journalists who, who, you know, pressed harder, or maybe the administration was like, Oh, shit, we are going to have to brief Congress on this. So we have to get the truth out. You know, you find out that like, they weren't detected at the time, you know, under Trump. So that that just makes the military look incompetent. (laughs) Right? Yeah. But you know, something that's interesting is that people, you know, so like on on Twitter, where, you know, we both spend a lot of time on, it's funny because you will have, like, even if mainstream media strays from, you know, sort of like left talking points, people get angry at them. People are like, this is really what you're going to focus on. You know, they get really angry. And it's it's kind of funny that we've gone for way too long without, you know, uh, I think, you know, for for way too long without knowing like what the media is supposed to do and what it's for because for so long maybe they weren't doing it you know they weren't just giving like what happened here's both sides here's what happened it was kind of like slanted towards one side you know and then everyone and, and weaponized you know throughout the whole Russia gate so it's kind of like people got used to that people were you know there were careers made of Russia gators you know like lots of folks who who pushed that became you know celebrities like the Luis mensch or whatever her name is. you know like f- folks like Man. that became like these Russiagate celebs. and then so these people are like they they just get hooked on like, you know, the blue anons I call them. they just get hooked on like. Uh, you know, bashing Trump, people are still like anti-mega Trump, this, you know, blaming Trump for everything. And it's like, they get hooked on it. And then it's like, you, you, the major media then reports something about like Biden documents. And they're like, really, you know, you, yeah. this, is, this is not as bad as Trump, blah, blah, blah. And it's, so it's, it's, I think we're kind of in a, you know, interesting place in, in, in media. Now, I think we, we still need a course correction, but then again, part of that correction is just saying, "Look, okay, okay, fine, you just, you know, appeal to your audience, and then we'll provide, you know, the rest, and and then, you know, people can just sort of, you know, read everything." But you know, what I really want to be dumped are the Twitter files. There must be so much there. I just wish someone would dump it. I'm getting kind of impatient. It's like, yeah, it's great. The sub stack, you know, folks, indie folks are are getting it out. That's great. But it's like, okay, you know, there's so much more there, you know, like maybe you're in there. Maybe I'm in there. We all want to know what really happened. So I wish someone would just dump that. I like want style. those
0: Excel spreadsheets. Show me who the FBI, I want to see the accounts yeah. that they told you to shut down. Cause I guarantee yeah. mine's one of them. Like I, <laughs> like I know for sure when I write an article that says I'm a domestic extremist, I'm pretty sure that put me on the list. Like, let me see it. Okay. So tell me like your top two favorite stories that you've ever covered and you're like, top two worst stories like the ones that you were like oh my gosh this is the worst i can't believe i have to do this or not maybe not have hmm, to but hmm. like it was just a bad experience covering it
1: hmm let's see bad experience i don't know i don't i can't think of any you know maybe there's not one yeah experiences Let's see. As far as as far as uh, favorite stories, well, you know, um, it's funny. There, there's still maybe maybe my favorite stories haven't yet been told (laughs) because I just I get I get a dump of uh, I get a lot of information all the time. Uh, I've got stories from like the Afghanistan withdrawal that I haven't haven't told yet, and it's it's because they're so you know, complicated, or I'll, I'll get some very exciting, um, you know, information that I, I just haven't had the time. And it's not just, you know, sitting down at the computer, it's, you know, just, it, it's very extensive, and you, you don't want to screw anything up. So, and right. it's also sometimes kind of intimidating, and, and lots of writers, and you probably have experienced that too, where it's like some, so big in your head that you're afraid to like sit down. Yes. And like, yeah, and you just keep pushing it off. So I mean, they're so as far as favorite stories, you know, I, I'm gonna think of all of them. Like after we get
0: off, like, I know as soon as we hang up, it'll be, you'll be like, "Oh, I should have told her about that one." Okay, um, so well then, then tell me. Let's do some personal stuff now. You just got back from Africa. Tell me about that trip. It was personal, right? It was not professional. Yeah. So tell me about that.
1: So, um, uh. Africa was, so now I'm thinking about your previous question because it's going to bug me. Um, (laughs) So I, I would just, you know... I, reporting from Af- Afghanistan was probably one of the best reporting experiences of my life so far. Um, that was a whole month in Afghanistan. i you know, no communication with my editors back in the U.S. You're just going, you're just doing whatever. You're you're talking to troops. I did a bunch of cool things. Um, you know, um, flew in the Mi-17s, which are you know helicopters that were flown by Afghan pilots. Which was really scary. At one point, I thought we were going down. Like I, I literally oh thought we're going down, and you know we're going to get attacked by the Taliban. You know when, when we get down. So yeah, it was it was very interesting. And um, at one point, I, I we were supposed to go to uh, Marja, which is like the birthplace of um, the surge, at, uh, the Afghan um, surge, where they you know tried to take retake the initiative. I think this was around 2011. And we're supposed to go through this um, route called, I think it's called IED Valley, an IED, you know, improvised explosive device. And there were supposed to be like a hundred Taliban waiting for us. And then someone else was like, actually it's more like a thousand supposed to be waiting for us. And I was gonna go because I thought, you know, all these Marines, I was with the Marines at the time, these Marines are going, why am I special? I'm gonna go. And I was, I was terrified. I was like, probably super pale. I, I wasn't really talking. I wasn't really eating much before we were going to go. I was taught how to um, apply a chest seal, how to, how to apply a tourniquet with one hand in, in case, you know, like, um, you know, um, my other arm was blown off or something. So,
0: <laughs> just So you yeah. get all this like critical, like, awful like health stuff right before you go on this trip yeah the right way, there's gonna be a thousand Taliban there have fun yeah. <laughs> yes and the mission
1: got called off at the last minute and I I was sort of disappointed because I was so hyped up for it not in a positive way but it's like so psychologically hyped up for it it was like this huge letdown and um it ended up happening later and it was fine so that's that's good but um it was, it was such a, it was just a great experience. It's kind of like what you get into military reporting for is like you were there, you know, talking to the folks who are putting their lives on the line. It sounds cheesy, but it's like, you know, their stories are never told. They're not supposed to really, you know, share their opinions and, and talk to the media. But, you know, I was there with the folks on, you know, at the front lines. So that was, that was a, you know, really fun reporting experience. and. You know, I guess anytime I get to talk to real people, <laughs> yeah, and go do that quote shoe leather reporting, you know, that's that's fun. And yeah, you know, there's just there's a lot of stories. One I have still pinned on my uh Twitter feed is that it's got a, it's gotten some a lot of likes and retweets, but I feel like no one. No one cares because of this partisan media environment. It's like, even though it's a big deal, uh, it's only going to be read by one side, which is, you know, um, I I talked to some very, very good sources that were on the ground in Afghanistan at
0: the time of the withdrawal. The pullout. Yeah. I've read the article. It's really good.
1: There was one person that I probably can't say too much about the, um, but this one person, in addition to several different um, people and emails, uh, basically said that Biden at one point was screaming, "Get fucking asses on in seats" because he saw it was turning into a disaster, and they wanted nice. to salvage it. I mean, this was of course before the Marine uh, Marines died, uh, before the bombing, but they wanted to salvage what was clearly a disaster by by getting to say this was the largest non eva you know, combat ev- evacuation operation, non-combatant evacuation operation in history. So they wanted that positive talking point, And right. they said, get people onto the planes. But that was extremely difficult logistically, because there were folks, troops at the gates, you can't live in Taliban, you can't live in, you know, terrorists, they're screening everyone, there's thousands of afghan civilians pressed up you know against the gates and trying to get in there's just chaos and then you have biden being like oh you know get get some in and then you've got like buses coming in it's just like completely chaotic troops were not sleeping you know they were sleeping catching a few hours of sleep at a time and and so it was extremely difficult for them to just you know for i think it lasted for like two weeks or something these troops were exhausted they and and so and, and part of the, you know, that was part of what led to the bombing was like, oh, stay at the gates, let more people in. Yep. Not to mention a lot of people bum rushed the planes in the beginning, you know, maybe they were employees on the base, maybe they were just in
0: Kabul at the time. Didn't we uh, find out like when they made it, because they went to Kuwait first before they came here, right? And then. The secondary screening process, a lot of those people were people that should not have been led in the country in the first place, right?
1: Yes. And some of them were armed. You know, some of them had, like, guns. There was, like, a riot. There, yeah. So, yeah, there were a lot of people who were, managed to get on the planes, who weren't supposed to be on the planes. They weren't interpreters and didn't work with U.S. military or the U.S. government. And then we
0: left, like, a ton of our SIVs behind. yeah and and part of that i mean and correct me if i and i'm just like clarifying some of this because the people who listen to this should go read the article it's a really really oh, well written great article but we were shutting down the places that could issue the the actual documentation that people needed and our state departments like oh well here's a piece of paper just hand this out to people you know it was like what like the the way that it was handled from an administration perspective is just disgusting. It was, like it, it it was, was... terrible.
1: Yeah, I mean, the State Department was not allowed to mention the word um, evacuation, so there was very little planning for for what happened. So it was just this clusterfuck. Like I, people told me they they boarded um, helicopters without the, their their shoes. You know, they were like things were left all over the place. I mean, they were panicked they were burning so much stuff helicopters couldn't land because you know you have to you have to burn stuff before you leave and so it was just like this complete like shit show and and folks didn't get warnings like the SIVs the special special immigration or special immigrant visas uh applicants they the ones who you know served with the U.S. military and state department they didn't get notices they were like in different provinces yeah, and, and this is something also when I was in Afghanistan, I, I, I met, you know, um these translators who did help the US military. They didn't have to. Um, you know, some of them very uh, you know, just it sounds cheesy. I hate I hate the word cherish, you know, but like a lot of troops really cherished their relationships with their interpreters sure. that kept them alive during that time. They didn't get the heads up that, you know, they had to basically Fight their way through in you know uh, an airport and get on a plane and um, I talked to this one guy he fought for like four days to get through and then he had to leave his family and kids behind uh, because there, he said there's no way he said I'm like six foot and I had to fight for like four days to get through there's no way my my child's gonna you know survive yeah. there were reports about like kids dying. You know, some parents were so desperate, they actually would, you know, burn their child or, or like, uh, you know, injure their child to get them through, you know, to get them medical treatment. And of course, we all saw the, the person who threw their, their baby over baby and got stuck over. in barbed wire. Yeah. Well, actually, there, there, those were two different, there's, those were different uh, situations. Some Some babies did get stuck in the barbed wire. This baby actually made it over that we all saw. And then, of course, the Biden administration, like, investigated that Marine because he went to, like, yeah. a Trump rally or something ridiculous like that. But anyway, yeah, so, I mean, Afghanistan was, like, a very special thing for me, you know, because that was, you know, that was part of why I became a defense journalist in the first place. So so any any kind of reporting I've ever done on Afghanistan has been, you know, that's been some of my favorite I was in Afghanistan in December before um, everything went to shit in August. So and that was weird because I remember going to the um, the palace, the presidential palace, the grounds, right, where you have like um, where all the top officials are and where the uh, um, U.S. military base is and uh, the joint base. I think it's like NATO or something. And I, I thought, you know, there's no way the Taliban are ever going to you know they're they're never going to get in here. They're never going to take over this place. At least there's Cobble, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and then just 8 months later. And then later, 8 months
0: later. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. I have a follow-up question for you before we go to personal stuff. Yes. So do you feel having covered national security in the Pentagon and things like that for as long as you have do you feel that as I want to be careful about what language I use here because I don't want to like force you into a position. But do you feel like covering it has been more difficult as the government has turned more secretive with the way that they like, it feels very shadowy. like a lot of decisions are being made. It's coming out now that Mattis is like, I didn't even know any of this stuff was going on. Yeah, I lied to the the commander in chief about stuff like you're starting to see some of the the thing I, I lied about the number of troops that we had in Afghanistan so that, you know what I mean? Like you're starting to see like a bureaucratic arm moving outside of the realm of, of what government authority really should look like. Has it become harder to cover it where you're not able to break through for some of that information? Do you feel like you get stonewalled more yeah. depending on who's in office or how does that look for you? Uh,
1: I would say, you know, I, I, I would say that's that's true. I think for everyone, Um, I think during the Iraq war, the media was given all this access of like, hey, come cover the war because we we need you to tell the story, Um, especially after uh, the Gulf War was successful. And then you had the, you know, um, Afghanistan, Iraq, and you kind of still had the embed programs from, um, you know, the first Gulf War and Iraq. So you had like a really strong embed program where, where they bring troops to the field and tell their stories. And so I think that was like the golden era of like the military public affairs officer, you know? And mm-hmm. ever since the war started, started winding down, I think you've had less of that. And so you have you've had journalists for like the last, defense journalists for the last five years or so, you know, saying like, you know, just trying to get those same opportunities. I mean, of course, there's no war per se, um, you know, but just saying like, oh, uh, okay, for instance, U.S. troops training Ukrainian troops at Fort Sill or like, um you know, U.S. troops. I mean, troops- we've got troops in what,
0: Poland and Lithuania right now. Yes. Like, and- you know what i mean like yeah send some send some reporters over there let us see what you actually have our taxpayer dollars doing yes and so yes the pentagon has gotten
1: extremely so right now they're kind of like oh we'll look into this um so yeah they've they've become very very secretive in in you know so another thing i do i'm on the board of military reporters and editors with um, you know several other uh, journalist colleagues, and we're always pushing for more access. So I don't think it's just me, you know, that that right. feels like um, you know information is is being kept from. And I think they certainly do have their favorite journalists, maybe the journalists they trust, um, you know, to get to get out certain messages or certain journalists that they will respond to, you know, faster or like friendly journalists. That's something I found in my career early on as a Pentagon reporter is like if you are responsible, but also friendly, you know, you will go very far. (laughs) You know, you'll get you'll get all the access you want. You get to go on the uh, defense secretary's plane. You know, Um, of course, I got to travel under the Trump administration quite a lot previously under the Obama administration. But, um, you know, there's no way in hell, you know, the Biden administration is going to invite me to a trip anywhere soon. So um, I think the the Pentagon has just gotten secretive, more and more secretive over the years. And, And I think, you know, they're... They always say they don't want to be drawn into into politics, but it's like they're. I feel like they're more drawn into politics than than ever. You know, right? Yeah, and, and I think that's part of the maybe the problem is they want to hide the, how drawn into politics they are, and right. especially under Trump, it was like it was it was okay that you know, it it, it was okay to bash. You know, um, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of. I'm almost losing my point here, but. The politicization, Sorry. no, 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 the politicization of the Pentagon was okay under Trump as long as you fell in the right direction. Like Millie is a hero, you know, because he right. spoke out. Mark Esper is a hero because he said he didn't approve National Guard troops, you know, or whatever the story was. It was like, sure, if you were at the Pentagon and you spoke out against Trump, you were immediately dealing. you a hero. Right, exactly. So it was kind of like this Oh, politicizing Pen- the Pentagon and military is okay as long as you're anti-Trump, and I think that right. that that does do damage over time. You know, so now we've got this like, okay, well, you know, this just sort of politicized DOD and politicized DOJ. You know, back in the day, we used to think right. DOJ was a department for you know, basically looking out for every yeah, American's
0: self-interest. The attorney or, general was clapping for I the president that. of the State right. of the Union.
1: Right. That what? was weird. Right. Right. Exactly. And that that struck me, too. That completely. I mean, what are we going to see next? Like all the Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, all yeah, clapping as well. You know, so we're sitting like choosing like which president <laughs> they're going to stand for. Like, what is yeah, this? Right. And and you, you also had I think you also saw um, Millie. So it's interesting because I've I've covered Millie. You know, I don't know him well, per se, but, you know, I've covered him from when he was uh, Army Chief of Staff. He was actually in Afghanistan when I was in Afghanistan. This was, like, way back in 2013. I didn't talk to him then, but I think I, I saw him because I think it was switching from him to Dunford. But anyway, I mean, he, he was, like, all up in, like, Biden's, you know, area there. Yeah. You know, for, like, quite a while, smiling, laughing, and then you had, like, the Army Chief of Staff. He's he seems to be pretty, pretty good. But he was also there smiling and just sort of the optics. But then again, it's like, it's okay, because it's a Democrat you know, administration. Sure. It's all right. And and yeah, so I mean, that Merrick Garland, I was like, that's weird. And it's, yeah. uh, it's like, it, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. So I think you're just seeing it, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Say Trump gets back, you know, I'm going to be at the Pentagon. I'm going to be like, you right. know, just, you know, front row and like going on the trips and all that stuff again. So <laughs> it'll be great
0: for you. Exactly. Great for us. Like, exactly. And that's the other thing, too, that's, I guess, really disappointing is when you made the comment a while ago, you were like, it's like, a, like Biden would ever invite me on a trip. Like, that's a huge discredit and disservice to the people of the nation. That you're not willing to even invite an opposing opinion to see what you're doing. Because that tells us that you're doing shit you don't want people to find out about. You're only taking people that will hide or will say...
1: Get the the message out.
0: Right, right. They'll get your message out, but they'll, you know, conveniently leave out the, the bad parts, you know, because they'll see it. They'll know it's there. They just won't report on it. And that's what's really frustrating and disappointing. It's just, yeah,
1: even, so you you just sort of uh, reminded me of of something. So when, when Trump was in office, some of my, some colleagues at the Pentagon, they would, you know, just be on Twitter saying, um, you know, defense secretary has Breitbart on the plane. So you had, you had quite a lot of, you know, we talked about how I don't like to bash, you know, particular folks. They had no problem doing that with me right? throughout the Trump administration. And, you know, so, I mean, I still won't go after individual folks because I just don't think that's, that's right. You know, sure. just, just for me, I'm, I'm not going to take cheap shots at, at them, even if I don't, like their tweets or agree with their tweets or whatever that same courtesy does not extend to me sure. and it's, it's and you know i think you bring up another good point there's there's like one of me and then there's like the rest of everyone else who have the same sort of like we're going to report this and all of our reports are going to look the same and you know again i i hate bashing other journalists especially ones that i know but it's like you know it's 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 kind of like you don't really have different you know viewpoints um, that are being you know cultivated I would say you know by, right. by an administration
0: so talk to me about Africa what what did you go there for? what did you do while you were there? how was the trip? what did you bring back with you that you're just like this is this is the one lesson that I learned from from this trip.
1: So it's going to be hard because now I'm all amped up talking about the media. Now I have to like bring it, bring it down. <sighs> so something I learned in Africa is the importance of rest. So in, uh, we were, we went to Ethiopia and Kenya and Ethiopia was, we were in, um, uh, Addis Ababa. And it's always funny saying that Addis Ababa. Ababa. <laughs> Ababa. So it was very, very busy, um, chaotic, you know, dirty. There's a lot of construction. I mean, the people are wonderful and there are some beautiful places, but I mean, it was just sort of your typical chaotic capital city. Kenya was, it was it was amazing. We went on a safari. I, w- I, I, I mean, this is like a bucket list trip. And, and so sure. it was probably the best vacation I've ever ever, ever had. That's so awesome. So for a week, we we're just completely checked out. You know, the cell phone service was not working. I couldn't get internet. Oh, that's you... so awesome.
0: <laughs> to be completely disconnected. It's amazing.
1: Yes. I was completely disconnected for the first time in like, I can't even remember, like maybe, maybe 10 years or so. I, you know, just completely disconnected and there was so much quiet it was yeah. wonderful i could hear myself think so we'd be on the safari ride and you're just out in the middle of nowhere no one's talking it's it's you know you hear the engine of of your of your uh, you know land rover or whatever you're in but other than that, it's just so quiet. There's no planes. There's no other cars. There's no people talking. There's no traffic. There's no noise, and you really can hear yourself think. And our, our we 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 stayed in a cabin, but there were sort of people were sort of spread out, so you didn't have like a, a neighbor right next to you, which was good because everything was. We we're staying in this sort of like this treehouse, like this this cabin with like screens for. And basically we were intense. So so you couldn't hear your neighbor, you'd wake up, you you'd fall asleep to absolute silence. And you'd wake up in in just a, the, the birds chirping, insects making noise, sometimes monkeys screaming, or there's like this one animal, I don't remember its name, but it was like you know, just screaming <laughs> sometimes, and it sounded like someone was you know dying but but other than that it was like very very peaceful and you you got to reconnect with yourself and my husband of course was there so and also I felt like I was reconnecting with my husband and myself on this trip and you wake up when when the sun comes up after the sun goes down there's candle candle light and we and you know you tweeted about this recently you tweeted that you know, people back the in the day, yeah. yeah, exactly, used to use nails as alarm clocks, and when the candle burnt down, it would fall, and and you'd wake up, and that's kind of how I felt like I was I was living. It was like so natural. You wake up with the sun, you go to sleep. You know, soon after after the sun goes down, and um, there nothing was forced. You know, you right. just wake up, you go in your safari, you eat. Of course, this is like completely. Detached from anything you can do like in reality, you know sure. so i i i'm was, I was so lucky, but it was kind of like this you sort of need this almost to sort of um, you know reset i guess, and so for me um you know um i I'm a night owl, I can't fall asleep at night i it makes it makes it hard to wake up in the morning i I feel like I spend some days. In in like a brain fog, you know, and and you're just sure. forced to like churn out, you know, stuff. And so I I'd, I'd been on that for like years, so long, you know, I can't even, uh, you know, for probably more than than the past five years, six years, seven years. And I didn't I, I never had a chance to just like, you know, just breathe, relax, realize how important that that peace and calm is because then you start, uh, you're just connected to what you actually think, you know, like, and actually right. uh, how you feel. And, you know, just like, what's important, who's important in your life, you know, what should you focus on, and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, some, it's something I'm trying to implement, you know, I, 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 bu- I, I got some candles. <laughs> I'm, you know, it, it was funny, before the trip, I was always like, getting mad at my uh, husband for like dimming the lights. I'm like, you know, is this their grandmother's house? Like why is everything so dim? I can't see anything. I'm almost blind. You know, like I would just like go off at him. And then now it's like after dinner, it's like, yeah, let's just turn, you know, even before dinner, let's just turn down the lights, right. get, get prepared for sleep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you're newly married. You guys have been married for, Two almost two years now. Yeah, almost two years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Twenty twenty three. Weird. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So talk to me about that. Like, how is it, given your go 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 lifestyle, and now you're married. So like, how was that acclimating into that world? Does it? Do you guys want to have kids? Like, what's is that something that's on the agenda for you guys? So like. Do you feel like after getting married, cause you know, and this is going to go kind of like political, like my end of the world. So you have your boss babe life, you know, you've been traveling the world, you've been reporting as a journalist, and now you've moved into a marriage role and you're getting ready to start a family. So ha- talk to me a little bit about that transition and how that's been for you.
1: Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's been so hard because my mom was very much like establish yourself, your, your own career, be independent, blah, blah, blah. And she's, she's very conservative, but she's, it's, maybe it's the Asian in her, maybe it's traditional, you know, maybe it's the time she grew up in, but, you know, she, um, she was always like, you know, make sure you have your career before, before you do anything. And then, so I took that to heart. I think my sisters and I we we all we all did, and we were very focused on like oh career comes first, blah blah blah. And so, it's been this whole process. Like life has been about like sort of stepping away from the things that you thought and are just wrong. You know, I I think once my um, you know, friends and older sister got married. It's like, oh, life does not end. You know, after you get married and like have right. kids. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. I know that's stupid, but so uh yeah, it's just sort of like you know. So yeah, we hope to have you know children and. I, I can't. I'm looking forward to it, and you know, I, I I love kids first of all. I so it's surprising I don't you know have any already, but I, I love them. And for my husband, it's kind of funny. I don't know if this is all men. Some I, some men really want, really, really, really want kids. I know my older sister's husband was like, you know, really, uh, he wants he wants kids. I think for my husband, he's just kind of like, eh, you know yeah it happens yeah Yeah. so he's not like pushing for it but but he's kind of like well you know I'd be sad if we didn't yeah yeah you know but uh so yeah I think this is something that you know we're we're looking forward to do and um it's interesting because I think like I, you know, I, 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 I do take my career very seriously, but it's sort of like, there's other stuff in life that, you know, are also things you should aspire to and having a family is something I, I always have, but it was a matter of, you know, like, I guess wanting something and then like making it happen are, are two different things, you know, so, right. so, um, you know, that's always was also part of the dream, right? You know, get married, have kids, you know, have a career. Right. But, but doing it in practice is, is, is not, it's, it's not easy. And, and I think that, you know, it's funny because my husband, he's the one who does the cooking. Except for that recently, I've, I've started, you know, more and more recently, we, we started just eating different things but together. So like right. he, he likes he likes to meal prep. So he'll make some, he's a great cook. So he'll make some like delicious tonight or yesterday he made what did he make? Like uh what is it? I think Georgian chicken or something. And I think it's Georgian chicken. He always has these like he gets into these phases where he's like, I'm making uh <laughs> Turkish chicken or I'm making Spanish beef, and then i'm and then the next day he's making this kind of beef, and then that and so he gets into like these like phases where he makes different things, and then I'll just because I'm trying to stick to a meal plan, so I'll make ground turkey spaghetti and and so it's it's really interesting. so I feel like he's kind of he's not getting the traditional wife that <laughs> i I think he would really enjoy, you know, if I not even traditional wife, like a wife who really likes to like make carrot cake or make banana <laughs> bread or something, you know? <laughs> and like, I, I wish I were like that. And I, I look at right. other people who are like, that. I'm like, wow, that is great. I'm going to do that. But they just did not I know, that's happen. how you and
0: I met. You're like, yeah, give me your sweet potato pie recipe <laughs> that you've never made before. I'm like, yeah, send me a picture when you make it. I've never gotten a picture just so you guys know she's never made it before. I went oh through God. the painstaking effort of handwriting out oh everything God. in this recipe. Oh my God. and I sent it to her and she oh. never made it.
1: <laughs> I am I'm so busted. I'm so called out right now. <laughs> this is this is true. This is true. So, I didn't need a pie in a long time.
0: <laughs> I want to touch on one more thing before I let you go, because I know you've got some work you need to do. Talk to me a little bit about, you're seeing a rise, at least from a reporting perspective, of of Asian hate, where mm. there it, there is a lot of, and I think it's very much tied to the CCP, more than it is to Asians themselves. I think that you're seeing a lot of people saying, I don't like the Chinese, but they're talking about the Chinese government. They're not talking about Chinese people. And so I'm wondering if in your reporting, in your career, in your personal life, are you seeing any more hate directed at you for anything other than being a journalist? Or is it because you are Asian? I'm curious about that. Growing up, Kids would say mean things
1: sometimes, but not any more than any other, you know, kid. I think kids get picked on. I mean, I, I certainly was not like picked on, but, you know, occasionally someone would say something. Sure. And, you know, I, I remember I, I at one point I was a birthday party host and this kid, I think he was like Middle Eastern. He says to me, he goes, you look like you got your face punched in. And uh, right, and I think he was just. I know, I know. And I was, I was so shocked. I was, I was. And his mom's like, "Oh no, he doesn't mean it." I'm like, "You know, just he didn't." But he just said it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The kid was like eight. I mean, I think that's old enough to know you shouldn't say mean things to strangers. Anyway, so you know, you get comments like that, but uh, you know, whatever. You know, people say mean, rude things all the time. So so yeah, like occasionally here and there you get like a go back to China or something, but it wasn't like it was these quote white supremacists. I mean these uh, some these were like folks in in D C, which is like predominantly liberal, right? Or like you have right. some like dr- drunk guy who's like ching chong ching chong, you know? So yeah, <laughs> I've gotten like things like that, right? Yeah, but I mean that was a long long time ago. I can't even remember the last time someone like said something really. Like made some sort of like racist comment or joke to me except for two years ago during the pandemic I was walking with my husband and this guy says to me uh, this black guy he he's he's just on the side of the street he's not homeless or anything he's just standing there and I walk by and he goes, he goes hi Corona and it took me a second because he, 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 he was smiling at me and I was like, oh, you know, he's being friendly. And it took me a second to realize what he called me. That he right. me, Actually, my husband heard it. So he was like, oh, that's not nice. And I'm like, what did he say? He's like, he said Corona. And then I turned back and I think I yelled something. I don't, I don't remember. But by that time I'm like, okay, well, it's too late. And you know, that's fine. Cause I don't like these weird conversations on the street anyway who knows, you know, maybe he's armed, I don't want to get my husband, you know, injured, whatever. But that's probably the only, thats the most recent time, um, you know, anyone has said anything like racist to me. In my experience, if the people who have had, who have said unintentionally or intentionally racist things to me, it's not By political affiliation. I've had some coworkers in my mainstream media uh, jobs say some really insensitive, inappropriate things to me. Um, So, by far, this is not like I know the media likes to paint it as like Trump supporters are racist and white supremacist, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, a lot of the weirdo comments I've gotten about, you know,
0: just being Asian are from liberals. Oh, you must be good at math, Christina. Oh, you must be. (laughs) <laughs> like, the really, <laughs> like the completely insensitive things that they think are backhanded compliments. Like they think they're complimenting you, but they're really actually being genuinely racist.
1: Yeah, I was I was asked if I babysat because the other Asian woman in the organization babysat, you know, and this like giant. Yeah, right. And it's like, oh, uh, you I babysit because so-and-so babysits, you know? And it's like, that's such a rude question to ask in the news organization, right? Like, what does babysitting right. have to do with, so anyway? I'm I'm used to comments like that from, you know, from so-called, you know, like, people who, who uh, like to morally preach about racism. So um, that's been my experience. And, and you know, just... Uh, it's a very touchy subject, but the whole black on Asian um, crime, you know, we see that a lot in video, on, you know, on, in videos and on the news. And I've gotten a lot of um, hostility, you know, personally from like African-Americans. But it's probably because uh, in D.C. there's like a, a, a very large uh, African-American population. Um, but I, I always felt like this was something I couldn't talk about. So it's like I would get harassed or someone would say something rude or mean or something, but I could never talk about it because they're sort of like a, this protected race where you like, you can't, they, they never sure. do anything bad, you know? Um, so it's hard even, even now to talk about that. I mean, these crimes are still happening against Asians in like Oakland, and San Francisco, like hardly, you know,
0: conservative. What do you politics. think is causing that, that hostility and that increase? Like what, from your perspective, what do you think is driving that? It, I think it's
1: that we are not, we, we we are also minorities. So I think there's a tendency for minorities to feel like they can, you know, they can attack, you know, verbally or otherwise, like other minorities, you know, because if you, um, maybe they're afraid to attack, you know, like say a Caucasian person or something, you know, but it's okay if you're, if you're Asian, um, and in some ways you are subhuman, you are like not a you know there there's a lot of you're um, white
0: adjacent, Christina. Like <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's funny because to white liberals we are not you know minority enough, so to them right. we are white adjacent. So, but I think you know I'm not sure why there's a lot of hostility by you know black people against Asian people, except for that you know they're they're sure that maybe more adjacent to them than say others. So especially if you have like a place like San Francisco or Oakland, where you have a huge Asian and, you know, black population, it's like, we wanna go, you know, who do we go after? And also like, there's this misconception or maybe it is, a it's a reality that Asians can be more vulnerable because there's this this idea that we are weak, that we will stay quiet. We, you know, can't fend for ourselves that actually um, made me quite combative when I was growing up because I wanted to prove that stereotype wrong. And I was very loud and, 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 and very, um you know, um, I, you know, do a lot of things like work out and I'm just, you know, trying to advocate for myself. So I'm, I'm right. sort of, but anyway, you, you also asked about the sort of this this environment where we're, we're talking about the CCP and whether or not that I, you know, I felt any racism from that, I, I I haven't, and I don't think there should there should be. Will there be? I don't. I actually don't know. Like maybe, maybe some people will conflate the Chinese government with you know Asian Americans or actual Chinese nationals here in the U.S. I think that's that's kind of natural, especially if you read about things like the Thousand Talents Program or like the um, Confucius, you know, institutes on on, on campuses. And I feel like I have been targeted by a, you know, someone affiliated with the government, you know, asked questions, followed, just, you know, people from China that were a little too curious. So, so I, I just I, I hope that in you know in this day and age, I, of course, people bring up like, oh, look what happened to the Japanese during World, World War II. I think in this day and age, we've we've sort of gotten to a point where Asian Americans have been so kind of part of the fabric for so long here in America that yeah, you still have ignorant comments, but I don't I I, I not that I you know not that I see on a daily basis. So I've got tons of you know conservative friends and and republican friends and you know and I don't have any there's no sense of racism or or uh you know from from them so yeah I I I don't know I guess we'll we'll have to see I think the ignorant people will always be ignorant and right. so I don't think they need an excuse you know to attack Asians or use you know Asian like slurs or whatever. So, so I don't know. I mean, seeing this Asian, this sorry Chinese blo- spy balloon float across the U.S. I don't, I don't think it's made anyone angry at like your Asian American neighbor. You know, sure. at least not yet. So if right if if there's a if we find out there's like a ton of Asian spies, Chinese spies everywhere in America. Yeah, you know, maybe you might right. you might then then you might be like wow, I wonder if my Asian neighbor is actually a Chinese spy. You know, I think, but then there's having those thoughts and then like acting on those thoughts too. Acting upon them. Yeah, because we all all think crazy things. You know, I'm not immune to thinking crazy things either. I'm not immune to thinking, you know, someone's a, a CCP spy. Given what
0: you've been covering your whole career, I would imagine you're like the biggest conspiracy theorist on the planet. You're like, oh, I've seen some shit. Like this could totally be real at this point.
1: I get text messages in in,
0: in China. I've texted all you. I'm like, what do you know about this? What do you think <laughs> about this? Like I've personally texted you and been like, this is real. Like I have to check with Christina first before <laughs> I believe some of the shit that I see.
1: Yeah, no, I, I get I get some weird uh, not not your text messages, but I mean some text messages in Chinese and and I think they're probing. I, I think it is the CCP. I get them when I go to the Taiwanese embassy, you know, and, and I, I randomly start getting these weird messages. People who follow me on social media, I'm like, this this sounds, this looks like a CCP, you know, right. bot or troll. And, and, I, you know, I'm pretty skeptical of the whole, like, oh, you're a Russian troll. But I, I do think that, yeah, there are a few folks who are like, this is very suspicious. So I right. myself... Sometimes think people are CCC, CCP spies,
0: so I guess we're just we're just gonna have to see. But it's- well, I mean, they have police stations here in the United States now. Yeah. So, uh, like, let's right. be real. <laughs> right. <laughs> when yeah. your own attorney general comes out and says, "Well, we're looking into the legality of that," and it's like, yeah, you're the top law enforcement agent in the entire country, right. and you're right. looking into the legality of foreign countries having police right. stations here.
1: People people need to to I think people need to wake up and they're they are waking up and that's why this whole thing about like, oh, don't conflate China with Chinese people and, and don't be racist, that's that's dangerous because we don't want to hide the threat that China poses to the US. And I mean, you could argue whether that threat is overblown or I don't think it is, you know. I think they I think they, it's
0: underplayed. I think it's undervalued Yeah. yeah. at this I mean, point.
1: Right. I mean China it's not like out to get us, but they want to p- assert themselves at the top. They you know, want world domination. They like, do, it's not- they do. And they've <laughs> always wanted this. It's kind yes. of like people don't understand the Chinese mentality of like biding your time, right? So it's it's sort of like, we're just gonna wait and, and, and we're gonna strike at the right time. And that waiting is like decades, you know, yeah. if, not, if not longer. And, yeah. and, and people don't realize, So speaking of like Chinese people, I mean, of course, I think it's like what two point one or two billion. um, Even though I I read the population is like going down, um, is it two point? I think it's one point. Sorry, I haven't looked at this for a while. I'm conflating it with the the U.S. military. Let's see, population of China. I think it's one point. It was one point two billion. Let's see. I claimed I was good at math. (laughs) Let's see population of China. Anyway, I'm I'm 1.4 billion now. So I'm not going to, I can't, and no one can speak to 1.4 billion people, but there's a sense of nationality. uh, Sorry, there's a sense of national, nationalism there as well as there is in the US, right? So you're not going to go to China and find people who You know, maybe they don't love it there, but they feel this pride and nationalism in their country, you know, and when I visited in 2006, 2007, and I think 20, around 2012 or 13, and it was very surprising to me like, Oh, you know, they don't listen to Britney Spears. They probably don't even know who she is. They, they don't, you know, they have their own things. They have their own companies. They have their own, you know, everything. Right. They're not trying to be the U S you know, and I would talk to a uh, young Chinese who did speak English. They don't, they don't want to be, you know, American, China wants to learn from America so it can become and surpass. It can America. surpass America, yep. so they want to glean all the lessons from America, take from America what they can, and beat America. And and so as a Chinese person, it's like you're you're not going to be this, you know, unless you have a miserable life and hate the government for some reason. You're you want your country to succeed, you know, yeah. uh, something that we don't have enough of in 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 the U.S. And so people don't understand that, you know, people understand that, like you do, you know, China wants to, you know, surpass America, and it wants to shape the new world order, it sees itself as a successor to America, and it's going to reshape the world how it wants the world to be shaped, whether I mean, that means you can't get certain books you can't get you know people think censorship is bad now wait until the ccp controls everything sure. you know economically like you can't get your favorite book on
0: you know amazon maybe we saw you smoke a cigarette you can't ride the train today
1: oh yeah i mean there's uh, i mean I, we're, this is like yeah the tip of the iceberg like they control your cars we don't want you to leave your home we don't want you to have you know you said something bad against the government we don't want you to have heat. you know things, right. things like that and it's really bad. They want to control, you know, they're trying to dominate, you know, certain sectors like microchips and all sorts of things that are needed, critical minerals, things that are needed for everything, you know, right. for manufacturing. And they want to get, uh, you know, they,
0: they have the jump in, in certain industries. And, and so, well, yeah. And we no. gave that to them. We gave those advantages over willingly, happily, mm-hmm. and we're doing nothing. It, it's like... It's it's like watching. I'll be honest, like I cannot stand the CCP. I'll I'll probably be like black bagged at some (laughs) point in my life. But but if you're looking at it from an objective perspective, you have to have massive amounts of respect for the long game. So, you know, Mm. they have they have been playing these cards and we've just been like. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll call. You can raise me and, and, you know, I'm out, you know, whatever I'll fold on this hand. It's okay. You can, you can take all of our medicine manufacturing. And it's like, now we have antibiotic shortages all over the place. And it's Mm -hmm. like, we've, we've continuously given away so much Mm -hmm. to the point where now they dominate in Africa. They will take Taiwan. Whenever that happens, we're not in a position to stop it from happening. Or maybe we are, and we're just not showing that hand. I'm not sure. But I think eventually China will take Taiwan. And it's just we're, we're continuously giving away. We're, we're giving away, and then we're beholden to someone else for everything. And I think it just puts us at a huge disadvantage. And we're yeah. so far behind now that we can't catch up. We can't, we're in a position where we, can't, we cannot catch up with where they are because they've been doing this for 70 years now. It's just yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right about things. I mean, such as like mining critical, manufacturing critical, um, you know, minerals or or, or elements. I mean, there's they dominate certain um, you know of those elements, things that we need for like batteries. They they dominate that that industry. So, I mean, and they have for years and it takes, so every, catching up is going to take money and time just to catch up, you know, not even surpass. And, and they've kind of done this on like several areas and, and yeah. So, um you know, meanwhile, we're just all on TikTok. I don't have a TikTok account, by the way. I, I do not.
0: I but, finally added one like a oh, month ago. Oh. Yeah. I got dangerous and. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's see what this is all about. Right. I regret it every single time I open the application. <laughs> every time. <laughs> every
1: time, several times a day. No,
0: just kidding. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. No, I yeah. limit myself. I will only turn, I have uh, Ainsley and I will sit down and it's pretty much, we just watch gymnast videos is really what it yeah. boils down to, but there are other things that slide in there but it's 15 minute limit 3 days a week that's it that's all we'll that's, spend on tiktok yeah. that that's great yeah so
1: yeah we we i mean Hopefully the U.S. government will actually do something. I think there was the Trump administration, I think they tried to ban or get uh, TikTok to sell its U.S. operations to a U.S. company or, or something like that. And hopefully that will happen. I I, I have to admit, I started a TikTok account because like you, I'm like, I have to see what this is about. There's, I hear right. there's so much engagement and all this stuff. And I did like one rope climbing video and it, it got decent views. And then I did another one. It was like, and then I saw the, what everyone else was uploading, like 13 year olds. I'm like, yeah, I can't compete with this. (laughs) But, but but also, I mean, it was, it's, it's, I I started getting like weird text messages again, you know, to go back to the conspiracy theorist thing, I started getting like weird text messages in Chinese. I'm like, you know what, I, I I should just delete it. So I, I deleted it again. I haven't been back. There is that FOMO, you know, like the fear of missing out that I'm feeling like big
0: time but I've got Instagram so I'm just putting all my energy which by the way I stalked your Instagram like you're working out you're a beast (laughs) like seriously I I I I look at you for motivation and then I go eat a cheeseburger and I'm like okay well that that worked out really well
1: (laughs) so this goes back to the the gymnast thing so like when I was younger I I did gymnastics probably you know um i mean it was not a, a serious thing but i i did it and i loved it um so this is like my way of like you know keeping that part uh still in my life of being like athletic so it's sure it's, and also just trying to find that 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 zen and that 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 balance you know because like right. half the day
0: i'm like you know right Yeah. so before I let you go tell me what you're working on like what project do you are you working on right now what do you got coming up where can people follow you tell me that stuff before we go
1: so right now I am drilling down into China you know uh and so it's, 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 uh, it's all about the threat to China, which is something that should come natural to me because I've, I've read a lot about China and it was interested in topic for so long. It's that and maybe seeing where these investigations led by Republicans are going to go. I love, uh, you know, politics. So just kind of like you sort of, you know, we're starting to see 2024, nations, you know sure. all, all of that kind of stuff um but mostly like just you know stuff on china i'm still following um you know troops who want to be you know they want to come back to the military after being kicked out over the vaccine you know whether or not the congress is going to reinstate them and or with back pay so that's something else i'm interested in Hopefully, I'll find find time to do those investigative pieces that I I talked about. And, you know, other than that, I think it's I'm trying to just find that successful balance, you know, still in between like work and and, and personal and and just and I would say like ever since Africa, I, I found it a lot easier because I just got so much sleep. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is what it's like the when scream. you're arrested. Yeah. So right. I, I've been getting more sleep and it's, I'm, I'm just able to go through the day better. You know? Right.
0: Be more productive. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And I like, get wow. no sleep.
0: I, I don't sleep. I get maybe like two or three hours at the most a night.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. You, you could be one of those superhumans though, that don't need sleep and, and can still function. Honestly, I think you are. I mean, you know, you, you have this podcast. Well, I
0: full time. I've yeah. got my kids, and then I have my podcast stuff. So it's like, yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, and I mean, I I, I no try for sleep. <laughs> I I tried to tape a podcast, and it's the, like the four weeks ago, and it's I can't even find the time to put put it up. You know, so I think
0: you're just like a superhuman, honestly. No. We're not yes. going to say that. That's not even the language that we're allowed to use. Okay. All right. So where can people find you? So you're on Instagram. Do you want people to come find you there? Because I wouldn't if it were me. But tell – like I I have all of these other social medias. I'm like don't – I use TikTok to shit on Taylor Lorenz. Like that's what I do. I make videos to make fun of Taylor Lorenz. That's it
1: you have to have the outlets, you know, you have to have like, so, so Instagram is my workout, my fitness outlet. So if anyone right. is interested in fitness, um, then they can follow me on, it's just Christina Wong, just, you know, one word. If, if you're not into fitness, do not follow me there. Cause then you'll just end up unfollowing me. Um, and then, uh, on Twitter, you know, it's Christina underscore Wong. I also have like a, a secret fitness account on Twitter, but <laughs> I'm just, you know, leaving it there. That's kind of like my secret outlet of just like, okay, I'm gonna account, yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. But those are the primary things, and you know, I guess if if I do somehow or someday take your lead and um, you know start the podcast, I hope people will listen to it. But (laughs) you should,
0: for sure.
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's kind of it's really cool to see how you do it, you know, and 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 so you're kind of teaching me how this this is supposed
0: to go. You're crazy. I'm not teaching anybody anything. I'm just talking to my friend, hanging out. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, Works out perfect. Yes. But thank you for joining me today. I know you've yeah. got work to do, so I will let you go, but I hope everybody appreciates this. Please go follow Christina. She's incredibly awesome. She really does a great job of holding people accountable. That's why I fell in love with her. That's why I think she's amazing. And I followed her ever since. So it, I think it was my favorite, like probably like the pinnacle moment of accountability was when you were going after Pat Donahue. Like that was, ah, it mm, was really nice to mm, watch you like own mm, him over and over mm. again. So, <laughs> Thank so, you.
1: Yeah. You know, it's sometimes it's hard. It's, it's hard to do that. And I think that's why that's not done a lot, it's hard to go against the grain. But the reason I'm able to do that is because of you and, you know, supporters and, and just that, that's, that's how I can do that. You know, I consider myself a very strong person, but I'm not that strong all the time. So I I do it, you know, I do it, I do it for you. And, (laughs) you know, everyone who, who, you know, needs that needs, needs someone to do that.
0: We always need people like you. Thank you so much, Christina, for joining me. Thank you guys for tuning in. You guys take care and have a great day. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care.
1: I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death.